Luke chapter 2, verse number 36. And there is one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant when they, Mary and Joseph, brought their tiny baby into the temple, and she coming in at that instant thanked, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, we pray for your direction as we consider this uh, uh, woman. May there be a lesson here, whether we be male or female, whether we be under the age of 35 or over. Touch us, we pray. Glorify yourself before us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're doing things a little differently today. Brother Fulton has something that he wants to share with the church and we've uh, penciled him in for this afternoon's message. And for those who are watching online, that service will not be broadcast. That service will not be recorded. So if you want to hear what Brother Austin has to say, you need to be here at 1.30 this afternoon or get with him at some other point in time. With Austin speaking this afternoon, I'll be bringing both of the, both of the messages this morning. And when asking the Lord for something to share with you for Sunday school, I felt uh, led to tease our brother just a little bit. In the midst of his series on biblical servants who are under the age of 35, I've decided to examine someone who is over the age of 35. This is not a part of a series. This is just a, a standalone lesson. Furthermore, uh, I'm considering an elderly lady rather than a man, and I'm sure that Austin will have ladies who are under the age of 35. Some time ago, we looked at Simeon, the older man who is mentioned, the old man, who is mentioned in this chapter, and today I spent a little more time with Anna. The name Anna is the Aramaic derivative of the Hebrew name Hannah, the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the old Greek translation of the Hebrew, goes back many, many years. That translation has the word Anna there as Samuel's mother. Both names speak of grace or graciousness. Both the mother of Samuel and this dear elderly saint found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If there was no other lesson or another point to this lesson, this would be a worthy sermon. Real life, as Matthias has already suggested, real life begins with the grace of God. We need the Savior. We're dead in trespasses and sins until we're born again. Anna's physical life may have begun with her mother and Phanuel, her father, but that long life was drawing to a close. Yet by the grace of God, she had another life, or shall I say she has another life. 
which not only has uh, uh, passed beyond her physical years, but she is alive today, and she will be alive forevermore. Just as the Lord told Nicodemus, ye must be born again, I believe that this lady had been born again. There is such a thing as eternal life, which is very, very different from physical life, as different as night and day. And this is life eternal, that, thy, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. This knowledge and this eternal life are gifts of the grace of God. But of course, this woman's name is no proof that she had received the grace of God. Names are just names. They point in different directions, but they're just names. However, in her case, there is sufficient evidence to suggest that she was who she claimed to be, grace. And like this lady, except ye be born again, ye shall not see the kingdom of God. So there's a lesson in this lady's name, but we will move on. That's only the introduction. This lady was uh, seasoned, shall we say, sanctified and in the service of God. I hope you understand when I say that Anna was well seasoned by the time we meet her. She was the daughter of Phanuel, who must have been someone relatively well known in his day. To have his name mentioned in the scripture seems to suggest that uh, uh, Luke knew who he was. He had a reputation. He's probably gone by this time, undoubtedly gone by this time. But uh, he had a reputation. His name in Hebrew was Peniel. And this was given to the place, if you'll remember, where Jacob wrestled with the Lord. The name re means the face of God. And in Jacob's case, you might say that he saw the face of God. He wrestled with the Lord. This Phanuel was of the tribe of Asher. Her family's original homeland was Galilee, under the slopes of Mount Lebanon toward but not on the Mediterranean Sea. And for those who like history, there's some interesting material here if we wanted to pursue it very far. Uh, she was from one of the lost, lost ten tribes of Israel. They were not hidden by God in Northern Europe. They were not hidden in Eastern Europe. They didn't take up residence in North America at any point in time. God knew exactly where these ten lost tribes were. And they knew who they were. And Hannah was of the tribe of Asher. One of the ten tribes. This lady also had been blessed by God in such a way that she had become an elderly woman. She was of great age and was a widow of about four score and four years. Verse number 37. I think it's kind of fun to notice that the experts argue lightly about exactly how old this lady was. 
There are some who say that she was a widow who was 84 years of age. That's probably the way I would go. But there are others who argue that the language suggests that she had been a widow for 84 years. And if that's the case, then Anna was no less than 103 years old. If Anna had been married seven years, and she got married very, very young, shall we say 12 years old, 84 plus 12 plus 7 equals, equals 103. And in anybody's dictionary, that is a great age. Not, a, not necessarily a good age. It means a big age. We often hear people with uh, too much money and too much time and not enough sense. But when they reach their 40s, or 50s, they realize that they're getting older. And when this thought hits them, they have the reaction that is generally called a midlife crisis. And then they do some really outlandish things. Some of them behave like kids once again. They take up new sports, hang gliding, uh, parasailing, or uh, skydiving. And some of them even take up new sins. For Christians, uh, that last point ought not to be. Our 40s and our 50s and our 60s and beyond ought to be some of our best years. In our midlives, most of us are handle, handed the gift of freedom that we did not have in our 20s and our 30s into our 40s. Our children have grown somewhat, and by that time they're usually capable of leaving home. So it's just uh, mom and me at home. It means, among other things, there's a little bit more money to spend, a little more opportunity to spend it, because we're not running off to soccer games all the time. In our midlives, we have received and can share the gift of perspective. I've seen 50 years of stuff. I've learned a few things in that time. We should have come to learn that some things in life are important and other things are not. We should have come to realize that there is an eternity waiting for us and we're closer to that eternity than we were when we were uh, 20. In our midlives, we have the opportunity for for example, of, of giving, mentoring. In our midlives, we should have had enough time to learn who we are and what life is. Anna was well past her midlife, and she was sharing the lessons and the opportunities God had given to her. But you can be sure that her 80 years or her 100 years were not a stream of constant delight. That's a long time. A lot of things can take place. She knew what it was to lose her parents to death. And she lost her husband. She didn't remarry, which might hint at several possibilities. She might have had seven years so wonderful that 
There was no way that any other man could uh, delight her beyond her first husband. She might have thought no new husband could match her first. So she lived in perpetual widowhood like uh, Queen Victoria. Then again, she might have had so horrible a marriage that she wouldn't consider putting herself through that again. She's not been married for a very long time. And since there's no mention of children, it's possible that all of her kids had died already. And that is certainly a devastating thing to any mother. But then again, it's possible that this, uh, this mother in Israel never had any children. And that may be one reason why after her first husband died, she was not offered a new husband. No man wants this barren woman. And in either case, no matter how you look at it, Anna was a widow indeed, which takes us back to other scriptures. Out of these possibilities, we see that there might have been years, many years, of pain. Not just physical pain, but other kinds of pain in her life. And then, extrapolating just a little bit, what problems had Israel endured during the previous hundred years? From where she was, hundred years is a long time. I saw a notice the other day, maybe it was on Facebook or someone, that only one person in history, as far as history knows, has lived in three centuries. She was born in uh, uh, 1798, and she died in 1802. What transpired during that time? What has transpired? Did I do that wrong? My math? 1902. 1902. 1902. 17, 18, 19. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Looking back 100 years from now, from today, back, what has taken place? Two world wars, other wars like Korea and Vietnam, uh, the Spanish flu, AIDS, COVID, killing thousands of people, millions of people over time. This lady may have experienced things in her day similar to those things. She's witnessed the slaughter, if she were alive today, of millions of unborn babies as recently as this morning. In other words, Anna has had the opportunity to learn how to suffer. And she had the privilege of great loss. She has been well seasoned during her lifetime. But there isn't a hint of bitterness or despair in these verses. I'm not saying there wasn't any. But in these verses. In fact, what we see in Anna is sanctification and service. I know the word sanctification is not there. But I see it. It means to set apart. It's related to being holy. It has theological and spiritual significance. But it is also very practical and personal. 
Anna had lived a pure and moral life prior to her marriage, or she wouldn't have been acceptable as a wife in the first place. Credit that to her father and her, her mother, if you like. Credit it to the society in which she lived, but also credit it to the Lord's protection and to Anna herself. I don't care what Hollywood says. We used to talk about Madison Avenue. That's where all the big advertising agencies used to be in New York. Doesn't matter what they say about modern social mores. And sure, there may be a lot of pressure on young people by their friends and their neighbors. And yes, there are parents who are not as diligent in teaching their children about the evils and the dangers of immorality as uh, uh, other and other youthful sins. But ultimately, the choice to live morally is ours, is the individual's. Not that we can be victorious in it, but do I want to be? This young woman, way back 80 years earlier, wanted to be clean, wanted to be pure for her husband. The choice to be morally pure rests on immature and untested shoulders the young people themselves. Many times, because they were or still are, so sinful themselves, they destroy their futures until the grace of God comes along. How absolutely essential it is that parents all be Fanuels, constantly seeking the face of God on behalf of their children. Or Hannah's praying for their Samuels. We can bring them to church. We can teach them the Bible. We can spank our kids and otherwise discipline them in other ways. We can watch their friends. We can outlaw the bad ones. But ultimately it's by the grace of God upon the heart of those kids themselves, even before their salvation, which keeps them from destroying their lives before they get out of school. Pray for your children, yes. your grandchildren, yes. and the children of others as well. Anna was a virgin when she got married. And I would say that she was faithful to her husband for the next seven years. There's no hint of anything to the contrary. And judging from the only passage in the Word of God where we read about Anna, we might assume that this woman was sinless. But we know better than that. We have this little tiny biography, which is not to be compared with the biography to which I will refer in another half an hour. Little tiny biography, and it points out her, her better points. But she was a sinner. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Yes, amen. Everyone needs a Savior. So Anna was not without sin, but she was striving in the strength of the Lord to keep herself unspotted from the world as best she could, even in this uh, elderly age. There isn't enough information here to show us whether or not Anna actually lived on the grounds of the temple. There were apartments 
in the, the temple, not in the temple itself, but in the temple grounds. I rather doubt that she occupied one of those apartments. Joash had done so. Others had. There, those, those apartments were designated to be used by the priests and the Levites who ministered in the temple for a month, several weeks. They would go and do their service and then they would go home and that's, these are the places where they would stay. But then on the other hand, this woman may have been recognized as having a ministry in the temple. And the priest may have said, you may stay here in one of our apartments. Certainly if she didn't actually live at the temple, she was there at every opportunity. By that, I don't mean that she was there on Wednesday nights, Sunday morning and Sunday night. She was there all of the time. She was there constantly, encouraging and comforting the women who came by there to worship and to pray. This good lady loved the Lord so much that it pained her not to be in the house of God. I'm sure that she had just as many opportunities as anyone else to find an excuse. You know, I just don't have any energy to go to the temple today. My knees are so bad today. I... She had plenty of excuses. But the word of God says she departed not from the temple. However you want to interpret that. I'm sure she grew tired and perhaps even angry at the sinfulness and the neglect of the priests around her. She was looking for the Savior. They weren't. They were all Sadducees. There's no other divinely appointed place for her worship and her service. The temple was the place for her tithes and offerings. There were no other altars in Israel. This woman was dedicated to the Lord, and so you could find her in the house of God. But I wonder what her health was like. 84. In a day when they didn't have... Uh, Doctors the way we do. Could she see well? What condition were her bones and her heart? I remember an old story about a man who was serving as the interim pastor in a little rural Baptist church. On his first Sunday, he noticed right down on the first pew right in front of him was a little old woman about Anna's age sitting as close to him as, as she could. And there was a huge smile on her face as she stared at the preacher in everything that he was doing. During the song service, she participated as well as she could. She was not a very good singer. It wasn't until two weeks had passed before the preacher realized, this lady is completely deaf. She can't hear a thing. She could read lips reasonably well when someone spoke slowly to her. So he took her aside and he had a little chat with her. The preacher asked her why she came to church when she couldn't hear anything and got very little from the sermon. She replied that she attended the house of God because it was the house of God. She loved the Lord and she knew that 
there was a God who wanted her to be there. There was a sanctuary built in her heart that responded to being in the house of the Lord. I think Anna might have said the same sort of thing. The third word that I use about Anna is service. This lady was a prophetess. There are about ten women in both testaments that are called prophetesses. In addition to the others, besides Anna, there was her namesake, Hannah. The word means that these ladies ministered the word of God in some fashion. There's no indication that any of the ten women, from Moses' sister Miriam to Philip's daughters, that any of them actually had the gift of prophetic sight, but they taught the word of God. They shared the word of God. Anna knew everyone in Jerusalem who was interested in the coming of the Messiah. And as we've heard recently, there may not have been very many at the time. But she knew who they were. And she would encourage them when they came to the temple. She was studying the Old Testament scriptures and she had Zechariah in her mind a lot better than I do. And she could share. And she did. With whoever would listen. It could be that these prophetesses limited their ministry to music. Nothing more. But I think there was more in Anna's case. Of course, due to her age and her gender, Anna was limited in some ways. She couldn't do certain things to serve the Lord. And I suppose that she may have once wished, Oh, I wish I could be a boy. I wish I could be a priest. I wish that I could sacrifice animals to the glory of the Lord. But then she grew up. I can't imagine any true lady wanting the responsibility of these horrible sacrifices. There are some women who want the preacher's job, but in addition to being unscriptural, it seems unnatural to hear a female voice preaching. It, 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 <laughs> It causes me to shiver just to hear it. There are probably lots of things in the temple which the ladies like Anna could have done to help. But at this late stage in her life, her, her ministry was confined basically to serious prayer. She served God with fastings and prayers night and day. By fastings, of course... We're talking about going without food for periods of time in order to uh, concentrate on the Lord. Perhaps Anna would go for a day or more without food while she poured out her heart in prayer. And only God knows how much good that lady accomplished. This woman believed in the power of prayer. And with the power of prayer is connected the power of faith. She believed that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous woman availeth much. She prayed for the priests who were scheduled to work in the temple. She prayed for the little old man who recently lost his wife. 
She prayed for the young woman who was trying to conceive. She prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. She prayed for the children that she had seen, some who seemed so far away from the Lord. And who knows how many of those little children eventually uh, came to know Christ through the preaching of, of Peter. How many of those in poverty were fed because this lady was concerned and, and, and pled with the Lord that he would care for them? Only God knows what kind of blessing that this one lady had been to the entire nation. One little old lady. And what's more, it's likely that Anna never knew what a blessing she was. It's okay. Then again, there were answers to prayer about which Anna was well aware. I have no doubt that Anna and Simeon, who was an elderly man often in the temple, they were spiritual brother and sister. Notice verse 25 in referring to Simeon. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, the same was, the same man was just and about, we might say that about Anna, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Anna knew Simeon. And Simeon and Anna were looking for the same Messiah. And I have no doubt that Simeon said to Anna, God promised me that I would be alive when he comes. This was one of Anna's prayers. I don't doubt that Anna was praying for the same things as Simeon. She was yearning to see the promised Messiah. She was praying for the Lord to keep his promise during her lifetime. She was praying for the consolation of Israel. So when Mary and Joseph brought their infant son, Simeon, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, instantly knew who this was. This was the Messiah. This was the one for whom he had been waiting and praying. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The prayers of Anna and Simeon did not bring about the incarnation. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, like Simeon and Anna, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God knew and planned exactly when Christ would come into the world. But through prayer, Anna was privileged to hear Simeon's testimony and to see the coming of Christ. So how did Anna serve the Lord? She used her eyes and her ears and her lips and her tongue. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna served the Lord by repeating over and over, the Lord has come. The Lord has come. She was an evangelist. She was repeating the good news that she had received. 
the Lord has come. But she's only a feeble little old lady. Yes, and what's your point? Right. Just a little old lady. Don't these things basically summarize what the Lord is looking for from each of us, no matter what our age is? Our responsibilities, our capabilities, natural abilities vary, but every Christian can and should be repeating what he or she knows about the Lord. He's here. He's here. Every child of God should be a powerful prayer weapon in the arsenal of the Lord. One other thing and then I'll quit. Assuming that Anna was 100 years old, we can see that she lived an exceptionally long life. We're agreed? Okay. And why? It wasn't simply to be a blessing to Anna. Wasn't it God's reward to this woman for her faithfulness throughout the years? I don't know if I can say that, but I, will. I just did. Among all the other possible joys of life, Anna wanted to see the Savior. And the Lord extended her life, and extended her life, and extended her life, until the greatest desire of her life was fulfilled before she died. No man or woman can go wrong in using their lives for the glory of the Lord. We can be as useful as Anna. How useful was she? No one can say for sure. And we too may be alive when the Lord comes, as she was. Praise God for the lessons and the blessings which come from this lady who is over the age of 35.